Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1392 entitled Only Murders at the After Party. Podcast title is Murder Most Pod. Uh, I am your solo host for today, Megan McHugh. Uh, No Rob Jan today, but hello Rob out there. And today we're going to take the opportunity to indulge in one of my favorite genres, which is that of the murder mystery. And there've been a couple of great murder mystery TV shows that have come out this year. And so this year, end of last year. So I wanted to cover a couple of those today. And the first one we're going to look at is Only Murders in the Building, which is on Disney+. And the second is The After Party, which is streaming on Apple TV+. So I think the first one will kick off looking at Only Murders in the Building. So let's get into the mood with listening to the main title uh, for Only Murders in the Building, just to set the scene a little and get us in a mystery-solving frame of mind. Triple R. There we go. And that was Only Murders in the Building main title, which is what I'm going to talk about first today here on Zero G. So Only Murders in the Building was created by Steve Martin and John Hoffman. There are 10 episodes in the first season and it debuted late last year. It's actually already been renewed. It had some really great uh, critical reception and audience reception. So it's already been renewed for a second season and that should be dropping mid this year, which I was very happy to hear because Spoiler alert, I really loved this show a lot. Uh, So this one is on Disney Plus, as I mentioned before, and the energy and vibe of it, it's uh, kind of a classic caper. And that title there is actually backed with some great visuals in the opening sequence, like the credit sequence is some great animations and we kind of travel window to window, kind of rear window style, although it's not strictly a rear window clone this, but in terms of kind of setting the scene that we've got a couple of key characters and it's all taking place inside this one big stately apartment building in New York City. So that's set up really nicely with the backdrop of that theme we just heard. So yes, as I mentioned, it's about three unlikely characters. So three allies that kind of come together to solve a murder mystery and they meet because of their shared love of a particular crime podcast, which I think is roughly modeled on the mother of all crime podcasts, Serial and Sarah Koenig. I think there's a little Sarah Koenig clone in this too. Uh, And they also come together because of the fact that they all live in the same Upper West Side apartment building, as I mentioned before. So this is the beautiful Arconia. And uh, at the Arconia, unfortunately, there has been a uh, a questionable death, let's say, within the building of one of the residents. And so... Now, uh, you know, crime, murder, and possibly the ability or opportunity to solve said crime has come right to the doorstep of uh, these three unlikely folks. And so that's kind of as we set out in this very comedic, it's a comedy drama, I'd say, firmly in the realm of a whodunit and definitely cashing in on those nostalgic New York vibes, as well as being very much centered around this idea of true crime podcasts being a really big thing right now. So 
basically after we have this untimely death, naturally because of the shared interest in true crime, our three protagonists, so we've got uh, Charles, Hayden Savage, Oliver Putnam, and Mabel Mora. We'll talk more about them in a minute. But those three, um, due to their interest in true crime, and they all really seem a bit at a loose end in their lives. They're a little lost. And dare I say, they're all very solitary, a little lonely, a little lacking in their own different ways. And so all of this comes together to give them, this is a great project for them. It's something to focus on. It's propelling them. They're forming connections again, and they really naturally want to take matters into their own hands and start their own podcast, as well as they try to solve this crime, uncover what really happened within the Arconia. So but when you're embarking on such a big challenge as solving a murder and starting your own podcast, very big undertakings, uh, they have to have some boundaries. So they agree that the podcast investigates only murders in the building, hence the title. So this is very much anchored in the lead trio. And so those three are played by Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. And it's also got a very, very strong sense of time and place. So it's this true crime of Palooza energy and podcast hype wave. There's a lot of little nods to that, um, as well as the backdrop of the Arconia, which is obviously it's got its own cast of characters as residents there. It's a really lovely setting for this. And you kind of weave your way through the building with each of the residents and find out a little bit more about this mystery and the li- interior lives of the people that live there, or some of them at least. Let's talk about a little more about the characters and then we might listen to some more music because I really love the score in this one. So we have, as mentioned before, we've got Resident in 14C. So that's Steve Martin who plays Charles Hayden Savage. And so Charles is a retired, though maybe he doesn't know it yet, um, actor. So he did star in a fairly popular detective show, which he's still sometimes recognized for. This show aired, I think, in the 90s. And it was called Brazos. And uh, he's kind of really trying to let um, life imitate art a little bit here. And it's sort of living in the past a little bit in his heyday. But he's obviously done well enough for himself that he's living here. I can't quite remember exactly if they explain. Because this is Arconia is a very lavish building in New York City. And the apartments are very big. So it's obvious that um, I think it's discussed that they got some of the older gentlemen got the apartments uh, when prices weren't quite so high and that's how they've managed to have such a great, great uh, living space. But anyway, yes, we've got Charles Hayden Savage and he, again, he's got a little bit of a sad romantic past as well and we learn a little bit more about him as the series goes on. Then we also have Resident in 10D, uh, Martin Short. Uh, play, Martin Short plays Oliver Putnam. And he is a outwardly optimistic, but actually kind of a melancholy chap. He's a, a hummus loving, slightly down on his luck and a little bit past his prime Broadway director who had a lot of, uh, I'd say, popular shows in the past, although they're all kind of odd sequels, it seems. Uh, but he's got, he's had a little bit of trouble lately getting things off the ground and so on. So he's sort of, as I mentioned before, at a loose end uh, and so becomes easily embroiled in the mysteries that are afoot. And then the third person rounding out our little trio is the resident of 12E, Selena Gomez, and she plays Mabel Mora. And she's a 20-something, and there's some tangential explanation of how she can be living there. Basically, it's that she struggled a little bit since high school to find her feet and figure out what she's doing with life, perhaps due to hint, hint, some past trauma. 
and she's living at the Arconia because it's actually her aunt's apartment. So she's been given the opportunity to maybe do some interior work, design, decorate, so on, on the apartment. And that's kind of the explanation for why she, she, she does stick out in this environment, but that's kind of the explanation for her being there. And she has a little bit of a history with the building too, as do they all, because they, they're not just freshly moved in here. They've all got a bit of a history with the Arconia. Naturally, there's a wider cast of characters that we come across as well, and that includes Divine Joy Randolph as Detective Williams. So she originally loses interest in the case of our victim, uh, writing it off as a suicide, uh, but will it remain that way or will her interest remain at a low or will she come back into the picture? We've also got Nathan Lane, a familiar face. He plays Teddy Dimas. Demas. Um, and Teddy has a history with Oliver and he lives in the building as well with his son, Theo. I think Theo maybe doesn't live there anymore, but he did, he did live there and is there quite a bit. And Theo uh, is deaf and he's also played by James Cavalier, who is also deaf, which I think, you know, we've discussed a lot here on Zero G, but I think casting where you can, such as in the Eternals, um, having actors with living experience play characters that fit is um, always a tick in my book. Uh, and then we've also got another resident, the perfectionist and bassoonist Jan, who is played by Amy Ryan, and she may or may not uh, catch the eye of one of our key, uh, someone in our key trio as well. So she uh, has a couple of good elevator scenes. We've also got some star-studded cameos. I think when you're in a show that's been kind of um, – been the brainchild and passion project of Steve Martin. You can call in some people. Uh, so some cameos include Tina Fey as the podcast host, Cinder Canning, Sting as another resident. Sting is there for some reason playing himself. It's all a little odd. Jimmy Fallon also plays himself as well. And Jane Lynch appears as Charles's stunt double. And she's having a really great time coming in and mixing things up a little bit too. And that provides you know you can see by the casting there's some good energy around it's comedy but it's as well as mystery so let's uh now get to a little bit more of the music so part of the mood and energy of the show is really encapsulated by the brilliant score so I found it's really stuck in my head after I had finished the show I it really was quite the atmosphere and it really helped create a great tone. So the music is by Siddhartha Kozla, and uh, he's actually won three Emmys for his work on different shows and he's composed scores for things like the recent Nancy Drew TV series, This Is Us, Marvel's Runaways, and Love Victor. So a lot of different kinds of dramas in there. So he um, has some shops in the area and I think we heard the main title at the top of the show so I'd like to play another piece and um, this is Mission Theme Part 2 and that's from Only Murders in the Building. This is China Mievel, author of The City and the City and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM Melbourne. Yes, that was their mission theme part two, which we listened to from the score of Only Murders in the Building, which is available on Disney+. Plus. That score is by Siddhartha Kozla. And such a lovely piece. I really, you know, we wind our ways through the hallways of the Arconia, looking through rubbish bags, getting our podcast off the ground. And that's kind of all part of the fun. Uh, and also there is some emotional gravitas too in this series as well. But that's all part of the fun of um, going on the adventure with the with Mabel, 
Charles and Oliver uh, in Only Murders. So I was pretty interested in this show from the get-go. And I'll be honest, I did start it quite a while ago. I think I watched the first couple of episodes and then only recently picked up the rest. I enjoyed the first couple and I'd originally thought that they would be more of a kind of a background show. I think I actually started watching it when I was making some dumplings. So it was kind of our dumpling making show. And so as you know, you kind of got to focus on the dumplings and then it was a nice little piece in the background. But I sort of regret that in that when I actually settled down to finish the series and I watched the remaining, I think, cause there's, oh, there's 10 episodes. Yeah. So I think I really whipped through the last eight because once it kind of grabs you and gets past a couple of weird bumpy choices at the start of the season, it really takes off and it it had me. And so I whipped through them quite quickly. So there may be some things in the early episodes. I know there are some callbacks and some foreshadowing that happens and that I'd kind of forgotten because I'd actually watched this in sort of two sittings with a bit of a couple months gap in between. But this one is easily bingeable. And I would say, because it's all up there now, it's all available for you on Disney+. And I think part of the appeal for me and why I would even pick this up, I mean, Steve Martin and Martin Short, to me, I grew up watching a lot of their movies. I think that kind of adds this energy. to. I mean, I don't want to say it adds a uh, kind of a authenticity, no, not a, but, you know, kind of, it it, it shines a light on it. It gives it a certain respectability. Uh, I don't necessarily want to say that, but I think it did interest me that they were doing this kind of murder mystery in New York thing and, okay, what would that be like? What would that look like? And then Selena Gomez throwing her in there, a bit incongruous. I kind of was intrigued by that choice. So that caught my eye, the casting for a start. Uh, And then it was the contained setting of the classic Arconia apartment building. So I've been going through, I think even like Hawkeye falls into this camp, like some of the Marvel stuff and a few other things, um, watching a bit of Modern Love. So things set in New York, I was very into this idea of old New York, things set in New York, having a lot of fun with those. So the the setting of the Arconia in New York was also a nice draw. I was like, oh, interesting. This is going to be nice um, time and place. And then, of course, the murder mystery premise was the final kind of last tick because love a good murder mystery. And it does revolve around the idea of uh, true crime podcasts. That kind of comes in as this extra overlay. And, you know, true crime podcasts, I think, are fraught and there's definitely highs and lows. And I think there's a lot of conversations that we could and should have about such things and how crime in real people's lives can be treated and maybe sensationalized through media, even if the intentions are good in terms of the person who's doing the investigation and the podcasting. But all of that disclaimer being said, I am a fan of true crime podcasts. I'm not going to pretend like I don't listen to them because I do. And of course, Serial was the kind of the OG and that still remains one of my favorite podcasts in and you know that's one in a land of many 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 so that kind of says a lot that that's still held up a bit as as a pinnacle of what kicked off a lot of of what that landscape is right now so anyway the inclusion of that the reference of that and the idea of that being incorporated into a classic murder mystery trope was interested in that and then of course the yeah you've also then got the um old classic caper comedy. I mean, it's not like slapstick or anything, but there's a certain, I mean, those guys are kind of classic comedy, right? And so it's, it's kind of a caper a little bit. It's a little silly in parts. Um, it is dramatic as well, for sure. Uh, it's mostly intended to be fun though. And 
And then you've still got, yeah, this inclusion of modern contemporary things. And I think that's sort of what Selena is there for, to show it is this weird mix and bringing together of different elements. And, and all of it was in my wheelhouse. So I was very pleased to see that the this soup did kind of marinate and come out well. There are... It, there are some surreal elements to some of the episodes and there's some interesting choices made that I, I don't know, I, I had a bit of a question mark, why is the show doing this? But they use just enough and generally they don't get in way of the story and they're also there to kind of help you understand a bit about some of the characters and the backstory. So I understand why they were there. I don't know if they were necessary. Uh, I think it was all just to create this kind of otherworldly sense of um, both realness but surrealness I'm not sure so anyway like I said I did find once things kicked off and the action kept building the second half of the season for me is is where it really got moving but that could also be because I was binging it and I just was naturally engaged through the way I was watching it so who knows about that I do want to also call out and this kind of I think to me shows there has been a bit of thought and care put into how the season was going to come together uh I wanted to call out episode seven uh, so it it should be, I think it should be rightfully recognized up with other classic episodes for taking risks and making stylistic choices that are really meant to either hammer home a point, make a clear character um, kind of arc or make a clear character perspective, progress the plot in a particular way, challenge the audience a little bit. So I think sometimes if it's done in a way that feels very shallow, it's like, oh, they're doing this kind of episode. Oh, it's that kind of episode. It's a real silly trope. I don't really want to, I'm, try, I'm trying not to give it away, but maybe I'm being a little bit too obtuse. Um, I think I maybe just call out if you've seen the in season four of Buffy, there's an episode called Hush, held up as one of the finest episodes. And I do agree. I think that's a really fantastic episode. So you'll get a sense about the kind of thing that they're doing. But for me, in this case, I didn't know it was going to be making such strong stylistic choices or uh, as part of this show and it did fit well into the plot and it propelled things and you did learn more about the story and characters and it didn't feel gimmicky and I was quite surprised in a good way at how that episode came together and I thought it was quite clever without being too enamored with its own cleverness which I think is a trap that some shows fall into when they say we're gonna do this kind of episode think of how cool the audience is gonna think we are uh in this case it made a lot of sense I think and uh fit into the narrative that they were doing so Overall, I really enjoyed uh, Only Murders in the Building. I thought that it was a satire with a lot of heart and it did, as I mentioned before, it was a bit of an ingredient soup, but it came together uh, in pretty well. And so it came into like kind of this tongue-in-cheek comedy with sort of more emotional moments and then all underpinned with a genuine twisted, twisty mystery full of buried secrets and a star star cameo or two, and, you know, the backdrop again of the classic New York and it being set inside the Arconia, the apartment building, and how we move around that space and just find out more about the residents and uncover more and more all the while doing this podcast. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was what I was after out of the show and it delivered exactly what I had expected with the added sheen of things like episode seven where it took some extra risks. So... I really would recommend this. I think that if any of the elements I've mentioned you like, even if you're a Steve Martin fan, I would say 
uh, that's also a good propellant or, you know, any of those people that are in it, if you're a fan of them, fan of podcasts. Um, I think that I'm pleased that there's going to be a second season. I'm curious as to what that's going to look like. I think I did see there's some new people coming in, so I don't know how the story will pivot. I mean, hmm, I don't want to give anything away, but there should be a second season. Uh, I am not just glad there's a second season because I like the show. Let's put it that way. So that's, yeah, that's that. Only Murders in the Building, the first murder mystery show that we're going to take a look at today on Zero G. Let's uh, hop over from Disney Plus and our examination um, of the genteel hallways of the Arconia and we'll pop over to Apple TV Plus. We're in a much more millennial party type of mood because I'm going to talk a little bit about another murder mystery TV show. This time it's an actual bottle show instead of just being kind of a bottle show and we find out um, who was the murderer or who done it at the after party of a 15-year high school reunion. So to set the scene for chatting a little bit about the after party, that's the name of the show. Uh, I'm going to play the title theme to the after party. Zero G is fun, as you were. Yes, that was the after party main title theme, and that was composed by Daniel Pemberton. And he's a composer who you might not know in name, but you do know his work, I promise. So he has composed for Enola Holmes, uh, the Dark Crystal movie, Ocean's Eight. He also did the score for the USS Callister episode of Black Mirror, personally my absolute top of the list favorite Black Mirror episode. And he also did the score for all three Spider-Verse films, only one of which we have seen, but he's going to do the other two. So he did the score for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and he will also be scoring Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse. So in the after party, which we're about to talk about next here on Zero G on Triple R, uh, he's very much well used because uh, I'll explain why a little further on, but he he's required to do scoring in a couple of different tones and genres, let's just say that, and he switches perfectly and, and really captures the spirit of each different genre that we might hop through. Uh, so first of all, let's just, I'll give you a little bit of background on the show. So talking about the after party, it is available on Apple TV plus there are eight episodes and it too has been renewed for a second season, which I am also very happy about because this is another one that I have very much enjoyed. So this one is really kind of the brainchild of Christopher Miller. Uh, and it has been made under the Lord Miller uh, production company Banner, and that is of collaborators Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. But Miller is really, he directed all eight episodes. He's the showrunner. Uh, and so I think it's really kind of his baby. But we, you will know their names probably because we've seen plenty of their work and we've covered quite a lot of it on Zero G. So Miller, uh, and Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. So some of the things they've worked on in either a directorial writing or producing capacity include Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street, The Lego Movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and the upcoming two-parters Across the Spider-Verse and Beyond the Spider-Verse. Uh, and you can see now the composer-director connection there. And they were... <laughs> notoriously, uh, um, exited off of Solo, A Star Wars Story. Ron Howard was brought in to take over. 
the log line for that is creative differences, as it always is. Uh, they also were involved with the Mitchells versus the Machines. And in the future, they're going to be working on some Andy Weir adaptations. So he's written Project Hail Mary and Artemis. And I think they're involved in kind of bringing those to screen. As we know, Andy Weir's The Martian was already uh, made into a great, really great film with Matt, Di- Matt Damon. And now to link to our previous segment, they are also, uh, word on the street is that they're involved in a TV show based on Serial. So the podcast that I'm, the true crime podcast that I mentioned just previously. So basically the idea for this show, it was originally conceived as a movie that they were going to do, I think called The Reunion. So, you know, it's kind of makes sense. Um, somehow became the after party. So Miller kind of came up with the idea. He wanted to do a murder mystery thing and he kind of wanted to make it a Rashomon, different perspectives through the eyes of the witnesses kind of thing. And he's a big fan of murder mysteries. And I think that comes through in this in the way the plot is, the little details and the way it's all weaved together. You can tell it's it's not just someone who's faking doing murder mystery because it's hot right now. I think he, you can tell he's a fan. Uh, and this show is just such an interesting take on on the murder mystery trope. I think it's kind of, I think I saw it described somewhere as like millennial murder mystery because it also includes millennial themes of like self-discovery and figuring yourself out and all that other stuff. I don't know about that, but um, I think it's a really interesting um, take on the classic murder mystery and it's also a lot of fun and it's very, very funny. So tell you, tell you what it is. Um, so as I mentioned, it is a mystery. It's very comedy bent as well, similar to the one we just talked about. Uh, it's a mismatch of characters all come together again after, um, as part of their 15 year reunion, uh, out of high school. And both a lot and little has changed over the years. Some of them are famous pop stars. Others are teaching at their high school and just not too sure where their lives are going. And some are still hung up on the past. And some of the characters have kept in touch with each other. And there are some relationships that still exist. And then there's also relationships that, um, have, deteriorated since high school or things have changed or people have changed. So obviously, you know, it's all it's really kind of preying on all of those classic what happens after high school, but mixing in a little bit of murder as well. So I think the key thing aside from that to mention, um, you know, we've got all our cast of characters and, you know, there's the artsy girl and then there's the, the lovable nerdy guy who just wants the best and then there's kind of the zealous guys who have a band, a ska band. Um, I think apart from it being a real homage to that kind of reunion movie uh, and the murder mystery thing. One of the key premises of it is um, that each episode focuses on one witness's description of the night, but with its own distinct genre and kind of style. So, and it feeds into the themes of that character's story and where that character's at. So yes, it's gimmicky. So for example, uh, we'll talk a little more about the episodes later, but for example, there's an action episode, there's a rom-com episode, there's a musical episode, and that sounds like it's not going to work and it's going to be very contrasty and a bit too clashy, but um, I'll talk a little bit more about how they execute it. So in my opinion, it's executed well. And it's quite effective. So the extra layer on top of the high school reunion after party murder, everyone is a suspect and we must find the murdered, the murderer before dawn 
On top of that, very kind of straightforward, familiar premise, we've also got this playing around with genre, playing around with film, and playing around with the idea of memory. So, again, that's where it's all coming together. So as part of the season, and as I mentioned before, it's eight episodes long, each with a very distinct focus, where served both these flashbacks, as in each character's embellished retelling of the night, as they recount it to Detective Danner, who has turned up at the house where the after party was. We've got the remaining people there, the ones who were around when the murder occurred, and they've all had they have to stay with stay put, stay in the house, need to be interviewed, need to figure out who has done it before um time runs out. And time's running out is a little very kind of vague. Um, MacGuffin-y reason why there's a time pressure. But they do weave that in and kind of explore that a bit. But, but mostly what you need to know for the purposes of me explaining the premise of the show is that all of this has to happen overnight, through the night, before dawn. She's got to solve this mystery, Detective Dana. So um, we get these retellings as they're kind of telling their side of the story to the detective. And then we're also seeing what else is happening inside the house um, as people are milling around and um, – that, you know, they're all holed up at the scene of the crime. And so you're getting a little bit of uh, side discussions and people trying to figure out what's happening in that interrogation, you know, the makeshift interrogation room in the house and all of that. So it's set in this beautiful house too. So the location's great. Like it's another example, I think, kind of where the set and the house is a character in itself and a key part of the plot, uh, definitely, actually. And and that the house and the elements of the house are as much as as much important and you should pay attention to those as any of the characters and the story, the stories that they're telling. So, yes, poor Detective Dana, she's come upon this scene. Um, people are distraught. There's a body and now she's listening to everyone's side of the story and grilling people to find motive, means and opportunity and uh, can't get to the bottom of things. Luckily, she's very good detective so i think we'll be well i don't want to spoil it uh so again that's why pemberton's score is so brilliant because it really hops uh genres um with each episode so the genres really kind of skip around and the music plays a huge role in getting that atmosphere right because as well as visuals you can do things with cinematography um, editing style to get that across because you, you're emulating what these movies do and music is one of those key facets of, of getting that right. So let's hear a little more from Pemberton's score. So this one, speaking of Detective Dana, let's play homage to her and we'll play a piece called Dana Arrives. This is Jack Dan, author of Bad Medicine for Zero G, the science fiction, fantasy and historical radio show on 3 R FM. Indeed, this is Zero G. I'm Megan McHugh, and I'm currently talking about The After Party, which is now streaming on Apple TV+. We just heard a little piece from its score. That one was composed by Daniel Pemberton. Uh, and it's a really nice little mystery ditty, I think, really sets the scenes of that one plays when Dana arrives to start solving said crime. Um, I think let's talk a little bit about the characters. I think obviously I don't want to give away too much of the plot. I mean, the basic plot is there's a murder (laughs) happens at the after party of a high school reunion. Everyone's stuck there until we figure out what went on. And the way we do that is through a series of flashbacks, all of a different genre. So let's weave our way through the characters by talking through each episode. I think before we dig into that though, 
And I don't think this is a spoiler because you pretty much realize this like in the opening scene. Um, but yeah, I think it's okay. So, uh, I will say, uh, Dave Franco, who I really like, he plays Xavier. Uh, and Xavier is the victim. So he is a former scar loser and now a giant pop star with loads of money, lots of suggestive song titles and a giant mansion perched on a cliff top. And there's your Chekhov's gun right there. So we've got this giant mansion, lots of open space, balconies, windows, etc., bordering right onto a cliff, right onto the beach, right onto the ocean. And so Xavier, who's gone from zero to hero, I guess you could say, if we consider kind of a pervy pop star to be hero, uh, he is come back to kind of reap his rewards of making it outside of high school and and he's kind of the big deal at the reunion. And so obviously I think all of that in play and you thinking about the past and un- uncovering things, you know, we learn more and more about who might have um, grudges or who might have a history or who might have motive. So what I thought was kind of fun is you can actually, uh, you, you learn a lot about Xavier's career, his fictional career throughout this series, the movies he starred in, uh, get some great cameos as well, and the music that he's released and what he's been up to. And, and they've really taken this an extra mile, which I like when they have some extra content. You can hear and see uh, four full properly produced songs from Xavier um, uh, they, they exist, they've been made. And so you can look them up and you can listen to them. They star Franco, there's music video footage involved. It's all, it's such a parody and it's so much fun. He's really infusing, you know, it's a very kind of lonely Island mixed with, uh, I don't even know. I'd loathe to say like very X themed, pervy kind of songs uh, and silly starring in very silly movies that have made him a lot of money and maybe a lot of enemies. Who's to say? So that's uh, Xavier uh, played by Dave Franco. So let's move through some of our suspects. So episode one, uh, we have Sam Richardson who plays Anik. Now Anik, oh, he's lovable. He is an escape room designer He himself is a lover of puzzles and he just wants to live out his rom-com dreams. He has some unrequited love and he sees an opportunity and he's really hoping that tonight's the night he can finally get the girl. And so we go through episode one. Uh, Our first view of the night is quite a positive and optimistic one, a bit of a lovelorn one, but we're through the eyes of Anique. Everything is, is, is very, um, yeah, rom-com-y basically, I guess you would say. So that really starts us out, kicks off the season. Then we really lean into the premise as we switch to episode two, where we follow along Brett, who's played by Ike Barinholtz. Now, Brett sees himself as kind of both a lover and a fighter. So he is juggling. He's They're very much channeling the whole Vin Diesel family uh, energy. And so his episode is an action-infused, fast and furious retelling of the night. So he's he's very much, you know, the fiercely strong protective father. I'm a great dad, but I can kick butt. So that's Brett's, uh, in his own mind anyway, portrayal of himself and portrayal of his role throughout the night, which involves a bit of random kicking butt that's so overdone that you can tell the show is obviously starting to play around a little bit with people's perceptions of both themselves and maybe reality, but it's definitely in a fun way. And we're really channeling, yes, the whole Fast and Furious energy for this one. 
And then we have uh, episode three. So this one is Jasper's episode and Jasper is played by Ben Schwartz. Uh, and Jasper is Anik's best friend. They've stayed in touch. Jasper's um, an aspiring musician and and you know this this all comes together when we see that his episode is a song-filled musical episode so we get some great tracks from him which are actually voiced by Ben Schwartz and he kind of sings and dances his way through the evening as he explains exactly um his experience of the night cut to episode four where we follow Chelsea played by Elena Glazer and uh Chelsea uh Chelsea she's a bit of a mess and she winds her way through the halls of the school, really just starring in her own darkly saturated psychological thriller. <laughs> she does pop up and appear in people's, you know, they all pop up and appear in each other's retellings. Um, and then, yes, poor Chelsea, we've got a very David Finchery uh, energy going on for this one. So that's episode four. Um, episode five, we follow Walt. Poor Walt. So he's played by D- Jamie Demetrio. And uh, Walt's kind of a forgotten sod. He, uh, we, you know, his episode has come through really great timing because through his eyes and his reflections, we can't hardly wait to get a juicy flashback of them all 15 years ago when they were in high school and we get our good classic teen high school party movie uh, as he recounts the events of a notorious evening in their past, in everybody's past. So all of these people... Um, uh, yeah, a bit of a mishmash, but they're recounting. They've all ended up at this house. Um, and I will say it's probably become clear that they're not all friends necessarily, but they've all ended up in this one place, um, at the end of the night. So, uh, moving on episode six, we've got Zoe Chow as Zoe. So she's, um, Anique's high school crush. So she's the girl in question here. And she's also Brett's ex-wife. So it's a bit complicated. Brett's our Vin Diesel type. Uh, bit complicated. So she's got still got strong artistic dreams. She isn't quite sure she is who she thought she would be. And she's got a couple of different inner selves that she struggles with, lets out at different times and different hats that she wears, so to speak. And this is all beautifully portrayed as she zips her way through her very own animated episode. And some of the animations of the characters are really spot on. So we've got some animation in there as well. So that's episode six. And episode seven, I'd say, is probably largely our last genre-ish episode. We learn much more about Detective Dana, the woman herself, played by Tiffany Haddish, who leans into this role and is both uh, very serious but also very funny. So she's a really great anchor in this piece and very magnetic to watch. So we learn more about her past at the police academy and on the police beat as she was um, working her way through her own rookie cop movie. So we learn more about her, why she's there, why she has to prove herself and why she wants to solve this thing ASAP. And then episode eight, we get through the eyes of another character in the piece um, and that's where we kind of get all of our answers. So it's an eight episode arc and each episode is definitely its own distinct thing. And we do go on a real journey here <laughs> all the way through. So I did tease before I said that we had a musical episode, so we can't really proceed until we play a track from said episode. And uh, this one is called Two Shots. 
So this is the after party's answer to my shot from Hamilton. And I think Man- Lin-Manuel would approve actually. So as I mentioned before, it is performed by Ben Schwartz who plays the character Jasper. And so Jasper does sing this song at the reunion uh, in his very own musical episode. So let's take a listen to two shots. I will give a, I know one of his other tracks, there's a language warning. I will give a language warning for this just in case there is any swears that slip through. So just a quick language warning on this one. This is two shots from the after party from the episode Jasper. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on zero G on three triple R FM. That was two shots. And yes, I think we can agree that that was definitely a Hamilton homage. And that is from The After Party, which is a comedy school reunion murder mystery that is streaming on Apple TV+. And I did miss... um represent that track a little it is two shots and it is not just ben schwartz but it's also jamie dimitro and sam richardson so the actors are performing that track so the actors who um are on screen doing this track as part of the show are the ones singing and i know that shouldn't seem to be a surprise but sometimes they get other people in to do the song the fake song so uh that's a really fun one that is from the episode jasper uh in the after party And I played that because I wanted to play one of those original musical tracks. And I thought that one was just so much fun and pretty clever, to be honest, and quite catchy. So, yes, talking about the after party, it sounds chaotic and it is. So looking at this night through the eyes of each witness and each witness's portrayal is of a different genre could be a lot. And in a way it is because each episode does have to lean in fully for the premise to execute. So you can't just half do this kind of homage to a genre, you have to really fully do it. And I think that they pull that off well, but they also managed to intercut it with, like I said, the scenes of them at the house, Detective Tiffany Haddish's Detective Dana does really keep the whole thing together by anchoring those interrogations. We do get side action that happens. We get people, you know, we, we are progressing the mystery and learning more and more. So it also could sound a bit repetitive and I totally semi agree, but The genre element means you don't get fatigued by seeing the same night over and over because it is the same night, but it's not. So there's different events, different perspectives, and often it does feel totally different. And I think that's what made it okay to keep seeing elements of this night. And it does that clever thing where you learn more and more as different things get revealed as as you learn more from each different character's perspective. So it's not the literal same thing. You might get a tidbit more of information, learn more about the night um, as things go on. And that's the beauty as well that I liked about it is it plays a lot with the idea of memory and each character's recollections. They have a lot of fun. It's kind of like a spot, the difference. Uh, they differ in the slightest and really interesting ways. And once you start seeing them do it, I think even from the second episode, I realized this is what they would be doing because we see one scene from a different character's perspective and some of the details are totally different. So it's not just the whole genre thing that's placed over it. I'm talking about details like clothing. Some people are remembered to be wearing slightly different clothing, drinks, food, conversations, words, things that are said. It's really interesting to see how they shift or warp depending on whose perspective we are in at the time. And I think it's done in both a really subtle way and a way that sort of can be quite obvious. Um, 
like conversations are totally different depending on who uh, you're hearing it from. And so you'll be really rewarded if you pay close attention in the show. So it's maybe not a folding laundry show. I think you actually do get a lot out of it if you start to, I mean, may, I mean, maybe it's just me. I enjoy these things where you go, oh, that detail was different. And oh, they, he portrayed it as, you know, she poured this and drank that, not the other way around. Or, you know, so I think um, drip feeding you the information and then also getting, it's so unreliable, this kind of constant unreliable narrator energy. I really, I really liked that. And I thought that was quite clever. You can also figure out the mystery, which I liked. So it's not revealed based on some concealed bit of evidence or reasoning that we, the viewer, didn't know about. So as meant, just kind of like those golden age of detective fiction rules we talked about when I covered um, the Decagon house murders. So one of the things was, you know, it has to be solvable by the reader. So I think that in this case, I started to think I was figuring it out and I'm pretty sure that you probably could um, if you were paying close attention. And I think they give you all of the clues. Let's just say that. So for me personally, this show had everything. I thought that it was it was funny. It had the genre parodies. There's an interesting commentary on memory, which is kind of a minor thing, but also really nice that they included it. Uh, it's a solid mystery story with great cast. There's a nostalgia element as well to it. I think when we do some flashbacks and the bottled interrogation, like they're stuck in this house, there's the ticking clock looming over us. We've got to find out who done it. Uh, I thought it all, that was just, I mean, that's everything on my checklist of things I enjoy in a show. And it's also, I'd say this one is much more comedy than than Only Murders. I think Only Murders in the Building is kind of comedy drama, whereas this one is definitely wanting to make you laugh and it's silly in places and it's overdone in places with the intention of this is for fun, this is a comedy. So, and, you know, they're my millennial counterparts and I feel like it was pitch, I'm their key audience, and so they, they snagged me quite easily. And it's 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 kind of an utterly enjoyable Right. If you, I mean, some people might not like it if you don't like that genre swapping thing, which I would understand if you found that too jarring or, but I love when shows do those kinds of homages. Like I know community did an episode. I think it was like the, the butt crack bandit or something. They did a real Fincher-esque um, mystery episode and they did a law and order parody episode. I love those kinds of parody, parody things. So I think for me, I really like that. I guess I would understand if that's not for you and you just prefer a nice character story or a nice proper plot or something that propels itself with some kind of modicum of sense. But I think what it's doing here is pretty fun and a re- I guess it's not original. I thought the execution was done well though. So I guess that's all to say that I really enjoyed it, but it's already up my alley. So if some of those things sound to you like you wouldn't like them or you'd find them take you too much out of the story and it would kind of be a bit fatiguing or too repetitive, then I totally get that. You could still give it a try and see what you think. Uh, or, yeah, try a couple of episodes and see if the if it's anchored enough in the other parts that the flashbacks aren't too jarring. So I think that's probably everything that I wanted to say about the after party. I think uh, it's you know, I don't really, you can't say too much about these kinds of things I've realized because you don't want to reveal too much of the mystery uh, or accidentally let something, let something slip. But I guess, I guess for me, I think this was really built like a, a nice contained season. I will be keen to see what they do in the second season and 
because you can't really have the same premise of a reunion and an after party and you also probably can't do the same kind of genre swapping. So I'd be very intrigued to see. But, yeah, so that was the after party. That one is streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. It's a strong thumbs up from me uh, with the caveats I've already mentioned, but I really enjoyed that. Also recommend Only Murders in the Building, which we talked about at the start of the show, the first half. That one's on Disney+. Plus. So a bit of murder mystery fun here today on Zero G. I hope you enjoyed hearing about some of those shows. And if you've not checked them out and they sound good, I do think that they're a fun ride and they're kind of pretty easy to whip through as well, some engaging engaging stuff. So my final bit of trivia on the after party is uh, each main character, so everyone who kind of gets their own episode, uh, their clothing corresponds to the colour of a piece in the game Cluedo, which I thought was pretty cool and is enough to segue to our final track. Uh, now this, I'm going to play this track because it plays in the end credits of what I feel is one of the finest movies of all time and a very fine murder mystery as well, the movie Clue, starring Tim Curry and a whole cast of kooky characters. So that one came out in 1985. You might have seen it on TV many, many times during the 90s, um, or one of my all-time faves. And so I'm going to play Shake, Rattle and Roll in an homage to the movie Clue and an homage to murder mysteries today on Zero G. That one is by Bill Haley and his Comets. So we shall go out with that. Thank you very much to Kayla Larson, our podcaster. And thank you very much to Rob, as always, even though he's not here with me today, I always have um, thanks for Rob available. Um, and also Joe Bernadic coming up next with Astral Glamour. And that's it for Zero G. Um, let's go out with Shake, Rattle and Roll. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.